This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I'm Aaron Bentley, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Mike Spears. What's up, Mike? Hey, y'all. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. I'm doing pretty good. I got to see a whole bunch of dogs today, so I'm pretty happy. And yeah, you know, I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving, and we have a special guest with us today, so... Without any ado, let's introduce him. Yeah, we're joined by Drew Spears. What's up, Drew? Hey, Aaron. Thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, big fan of the podcast. Always excited to talk about the Premier American Wrestling League. Uh, fresh off of a uh, dynamite. Uh, I also got to see some dogs today, and I'm doing good. Awesome. Drew is, of course, uh, Mike's brother, but he's also, you know, a, a podcast celebrity in his own right. Uh, big time, big time podcaster Drew Spears. I am a prolific podcaster. I don't know if I would go with the descriptor "big time," but uh, certainly <laughs> prolific. <laughs> That's literally half the battle. So <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Just keep pumping that content. That's right, Mister Content. In fact, Drew Spears. It said Mister October, Mister Content. We're gonna go with that from now on. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're glad to have uh, Drew joining us. And folks, mods are asleep. No Nate this week, so we can go wild. <laughs> We're going to go wild. Uh, Nate, of course, is traveling for the holiday and uh, could not join us tonight. So God only knows what we're going to get into on this episode. Yeah. Uh, any complaints we have, direct them to Aaron Taub, like always. Yes, please. All right. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at everything AEW. I'm at Aaron like the car. Mike is at Fuji. Hey, yeah, that's Fuji with two eyes like Don Fuji. And Drew is at Drew Spurs, S-P-U-R-S. Check out Drew. Great content on Drew's account. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You can search Everything Elite on the podcast app of your choice or subscribe to the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Leave us a five-star rating and review on the podcast app. And uh, go to patreon.com slash everything elite. Subscribe to the Patreon. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. Here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to do Elite or Delete. We're going to run down Dynamite and a little light this week. So we're going to talk about Kylie Ray. Some news broke on the Kylie Ray tip this week. And Marty Skrull. There's some rumblings about Marty. So we'll talk about that later. Uh, quickly, before we get into everything, I want to talk about uh, what's on the Patreon this week. If you're not a subscriber, on Monday, we drop Breaking Strong Hearts, Mike's show, which you can check out the opening right now for free on YouTube. So go check that out. It'll give you a sense of what this show is. And it's not like anything, any other wrestling podcast that's out there. This is a great episode. Uh, Mike, tell us a little bit about it, but I just want to give it my strongest recommendation. I, yes, I'm part of this Patreon, but it's really fucking good. Like, go check it out. I, I, I feel great that I have the endorsement of a noted DG hater like Aaron Bentley, that this is good content. So, yeah, I'm doing something a bit different from most wrestling podcasts for 
breaking strong hearts. Uh, someone has described to, it to me as wrestling, but serial, which is something that I'm like, okay, I wouldn't call it that myself. But if you want to call it that, sure, cool. But it's kind of a audio diary slash timeline looking at the the events of and leading up to and the creation of OWE and Strong Hearts. And the first episode's out, It I had my usual Open the Voice Gate co-host case low on it where we just spent about an hour and a half talking about one day and it's something that it's a very important day because it was the day that dragon gate no we split so we talked about all the big figures there the events that led up to it and after that we're going to start getting into like actual show reviews and i'm going to have a couple more like interviews and discussions like this but it's kind of like a new format for a podcast and I've been really stoked about the responses I've had so far. So thank you. Thanks to everyone who's listening and check out the opening on YouTube if you're interested in what it is. And I think I'm going to probably do that for all the openings from now on. Just post them on YouTube a day or two before they go up. So yeah, check them out. And just want to be clear that I'm not a Dragon Gate fan. You do not have to be a Dragon Gate fan to enjoy this. If you've never watched Dragon Gate, you can watch this. I mean, you can listen to this and you'll enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, I want to jump in here uh, to give my uh, approval of Breaking Strong Hearts. Uh, my brother has been into Dragon Gate for well over a decade. And uh, it, mostly it's so impossible for me to follow what he's talking about. But the podcast does a really good job of being concise and kind of explaining this kind of Byzantine uh, dragon system. So uh, kudos to you, Mike. And and a case and I can't wait to see where it goes from here. Yeah, my brain is real broken. And I, if useful information or useful things you could have in your life are completely like excised from my brain. I lose my car keys all the time. I've replaced it with like Who Phase 2 at Kobe World 2004. Like I, I have to have some sort of outlet for this. So that's what we have on the Patreon. On Wednesday, we did AEW Light, Mike and I did, which we do every week, previewing Dynamite. This week, uh, particularly good because we, you know, talked about the Trent match, Trent versus Pentagon, which played into this week's Dynamite. So if you're not catching AEW Light, uh, you're missing out. I don't know if we'll have anything else up this weekend, but uh, ratings aren't out yet. So maybe if ratings are exciting and they come out tomorrow, maybe Mike and I'll do a quick hit on that. Uh, also, this is Cody, the very first. Well, no, we did the Full Gear Instant Reaction Show first, but the next piece of content, we dropped that down to the $3 tier this week. So if you haven't checked this out yet and you want to try it out at the $3 tier, there's a brand new show on there, along with all the episodes of AW Lite. Next week, Monday, Wrestling Small Business Tyrants with me and Brian Quimby from Street Fight. This is a very fun show. I know Mike has listened <laughs> to it, yeah. uh, but it's uh, just me and Brian. I don't want to spoil who it is yet, but we, we talk one specific American independent promoter and a lot of funny stories about uh, dumb shit they've done. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I had the pleasure of editing it and <laughs> it's going to be a trip, guys. So it, just think about who it could be and you might be right. Yeah, uh, we obviously don't want to spoil it, but I'll just say that this podcast uh, it could be a main event podcast anywhere in the world. Uh, <laughs> so I'm very excited for it. Yes, if you know me, you're going to you know who it is, but it's it's going to be a lot of fun. So. That's on the Patreon coming up. Make sure you go to patreon.com slash everything elite. Uh, I, I think we've already talked about everything that's been on there this month, but uh, go on there, check out. There's a tier for your budget. I feel confident. Check us out. 
We're not talking ratings because they did not come out today. I presume due to the holiday, uh, most likely they'll be out tomorrow. Yep, they'll be out tomorrow. They're never out on holidays. So we might have some content for you tomorrow. If they're interesting. So yeah. yeah, we're not promising anything because they may be boring. But if they're interesting, then uh, maybe we'll put something together. But now it's time. Drew, you get to play the game that's sweeping the nation. It's Elite or Delete. If you're new to the show, this is where we talk about uh, the good and the bad from this week's episode of Dynamite. Drew, you're the guest. I'm going to start with you. Give us your Elite pick of the week. Oh, um, I got to say my Elite pick of the week is Chris Statlander making her Dynamite debut. Very excited to see her have her second match in AEW. Really hope that she signed. Uh, I think she's going to be really fun if she does continue to wrestle for AEW, mixing it up with their women's division. Uh, yeah, I'm sold on her. Very happy that it seems like maybe she'll be going to AEW as opposed to other options that it appeared as though she was going to. Yeah, it's really cool to see her like outside of a straight jobber context, which is where she was in Nashville, her in Chicago, I mean, she was in the ring with uh, I previously probably as like, I think five years a veteran, but all three of these women have extensive histories and are at the top of their game or close to it. And she did not stick out like a sore thumb, like you expect someone thrust into this scenario. And she worked well, especially with, uh, especially with, with Priestley, like those two kind of had some good instant chemistry and I dug that a whole lot. So yeah, no, I, I'm happy to see that they're putting this like full like this four court, court press on Chris Statt and definitely helps him kind of shore up a division that kind of needed a rising star seeing that the idea of Britt Baker has completely failed. So I'm glad that Chris Statlander and the crowd seems to like her too. So I'm okay with her kind of sticking around. Yeah. And I mean, I think Chris over the last uh, year and some change has been in a really fortunate position to get to work with some of the premier talent on the indie uh, circuit, which I think we're obviously pay off in spade. I saw her go up against uh, Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson at a GCW show just a few months ago, and uh, it rolled. I'm really excited for her. Yeah, the Dirty Daddy loves Chris Tad. He puts her over on Instagram, social media constantly, and I had not really seen her until she showed up in AEW, but I've been very impressed. I mean, she's she's an excellent wrestler, uh, better than her experience for sure. Like, I went back and looked at her cage match last night. It's like, wow. Her first match was in, I believe, April of 2017. So, I mean, she's uh, barely been around. Uh, and, you know, I, I would see her with Priestley. It's like, man, I would love to see her go to stardom and yeah. uh, mix it up there. It'd be a great spot for her. The Beyond uh, Twitter account liked my tweet saying I, I wanted to see her go to stardom. <laughs> I, I don't know if that means anything, but uh, interesting. So, yeah, she was great. Just shadow book it. You know, to, you, you, you say things out into the world and they happen. And yeah, I, I need to figure out a way to become the, the guy who gets the foreigners booked in stardom. I need to uh, get that power, basically. I mean, you'd be surprised who has, like, the ear of people in Japan. <laughs> so, I mean, just keep it up, man. Before you know it, we could definitely get her out there. I mean, it's it's something. Like, I was someone that, I when I looked at her cage match originally, I thought that she was an out-and-out out WWE plant because – her training school is run by two WWE guys and she was pretty much came out of nowhere. But each time I see her, I'm more and more impressed. And yeah, let's, let's, let's get the alien to stardom. I think that'd be really kind of fun. And I think she would be a good fit in there. Yeah. Some rumors floating around that maybe she is going to AEW. I mean, I think they'd be dumb to keep 
fair to throw her on TV if they don't have uh, plans of signing her. But we'll see what happens. So, Mike, what's your elite pick? I'm going to go off the page here, and I know you hate this, but I was kind of surprised that Drew didn't go off the page with this. I'm talking about the fucking butcher and the fucking blade and the bunny. Gassed up Teddy Roosevelt. (laughs) (laughs) It's just something that, like, maybe Beyond is the secret feeder to AEW because that's where both Statlander and the butcher and the blade came from, but it's something that that this is a company that is really kind of a couple of players short of having their all-star team. And I feel like having someone like Pepper Parks, who's been around forever and has been solid. Like I know there's some people who aren't super hot high on him, but I think he's like serviceable. And then like Andy Williams, I mean, that isn't also kind of an interesting play because he's a metal musician and that's, you could always kind of get that there. And that could be a part of, how AEW has done a better job than WWE has ever had in co-oping themselves into other forms of media. And it gives a good role for Allie, who has been underwhelming in the ring. And I know some people think like, okay, what's going to be the difference between them and the Dark Order now? But now we're kind of seeing a different Dark Order possibly come forward. So I'm excited about this. And I think this is a, a fresh tag team that when the division has already kind of felt a little bit like they have come to the conclusions of matchups that you can have every other week, being able to create a new tag team in one night and make them like, okay, these are the guys who took out Cody after his big return to the ring. So you, you, I don't say they're instantly made, but now you have a team that is able to be plugged in and now you could have them go against Lucha brothers. You can have them go against just up and down the division hybrid too. And it's just a good thing to have fresh talent coming in here. And I think that they chose a good one with that. Yeah, and the I mean, I love the look. Like it's a it's a fresh look. It's not something we've really seen on American television. The obviously these guys are fresh to a large part of the audience. And I want to take the opportunity to bury the crowd slightly on this. It's like, look, if a team comes out from under the ring and attacks the biggest baby face in the company, all you have to do is boo that team. That's it. Who gives a shit if you don't know who they are? They're doing the thing you don't want them to do. It's just like the first time that I've just hated an AEW crowd in that moment. I just uh, wanted them to all go away. Drew, did you have anything else on Butcher and Blade? Uh, do I have anything else on the Butcher and the Blade? Uh, the Bagman. Uh, I do think it's interesting that they uh, debuted him against Cody because that would, and um, you would think that that would mean that Cody would be in a tag feud coming up. Not to mention, you know. Cody still has unfinished business with Wardlow and MJF. And that begs the question of whether or not they're going to be put together um, as a unit. Uh, But yeah, I'm very curious where this goes. It does feel like AEW is trying to juggle multiple feuds for multiple guys at the same time. And I'm curious to see how that's going to coalesce. Well, it gives you a chance, I think, to let MJF go do something else for a little while and, and not have Cody worry about him too much. Unless as you suggested, Drew, they, they kind of pair all those people together, which I don't know about that, but I don't think they should. Um, and I don't, yeah. it doesn't look like they will. I just think that that's a possibility. You know, I think, uh, MJF's aesthetic and the between the blade aesthetic is so different. Um, but it is interesting that, um, as opposed to, I don't know, having between the blade, uh, beat up private party or uh jurassic express they clearly have big intentions with them if they're going to be beating the shit out of cody 
the bunny alley. Yeah, I mean, it announces them as as stars, whether the crowd uh, received them as such. They're going to be treated well. And I, I like the idea of giving Cody, you know, basically a mid-card feud here or, you know, something that's that doesn't have to be at the top of the card and allows MJF to go worry about something else. So it's not what we're used to on American television wrestling. And for that reason, it's pretty cool. My elite pick, I guess I should at least pick something off the page since I wrote all the options. I'm going to go with uh, the Scorpio title challenge working. I mean, Mike and I talked about this on AW Light that you have to get the crowd at some point to where they really think, oh, shit, this guy might win. This could be insane. We're going to see the title change on TV. And I was worried early in the match because it wasn't very good early on. It's like, okay, well, let's see how this goes. And then uh, they got him. You know, they got, uh, he hit the big, Scorpio Sky hit the big TKO. I'm not sure what he calls it, but the TKO that uh, looked like the finish. And the crowd bet on that. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, he didn't win. So let's move on. But then they did the roll up too that looked like, oh, well, he, he actually might get another, uh, another chance to win here. So all we said on light was they had to get the crowd at one moment and they did that. And that's all you can ask for. You can have these little, title feuds where somebody pops up from the mid card and all you can ask for is that there's a moment where it seems like the the champion might lose. And we got that here. So I call it a big success. Yeah. And if anything, this whole thing is kind of reminiscent of the late seventies, early eighties NWA, where you would have your touring champion. If it was Harley race, if it was Dusty Rhodes for a short period of time, or more likely if it was Ric Flair, where Rick would come into a territory for a month and then, they would pick a guy and it was never, it was not always like their number one star. Like I remember in Memphis at the time, it was a very young Coco beware that they basically built up Coco beware for a quick title shot at the mid South Coliseum. And it was all about getting him and getting the Memphis crowd, the continental territory crowd invested into Coco being like, okay, we think that Ware could win the title here. And now we've seen them do this twice with, Darby already had a little bit more of juice behind him. And maybe that is because everyone on the podcast is already invested in Darby Allen, but it, it, it was smart how they did it. And you know me, I'm a sucker for a good flash pen and having that backslide tease was a really solid piece of work there after the TKO. And, you know, they, they made a big deal about no seconds. And of course that meant the seconds were going to come out and there was going to be some drama there, but I think they, kind of used that as a tool that it didn't factor in whatsoever into the finish. It just kind of factored into, okay, this is how Sky got like his biggest advantage. And then even after that, he was able to get a close near fall. So yeah, I think that this wasn't a great match by any means, but I like this was an effective match. And if this is what they're going to be doing during these long breaks between pay-per-views, I'm totally okay with that. Like we don't need to have the champion having 30 minute epics out there. I think this one was like 15 minutes, maybe. But I mm-hmm. felt like that this was a solid match. And I think they did a great job of having the crowd invested in Scorpio when a crowd wasn't super hot all night, but they were hot for the possible title change. Yeah. And I mean, just to kind of elaborate on what you said, Mike, uh, this is the first time in a very long time that an American company is doing weekly TV, but not monthly pay-per-views, not monthly big shows. So it's kind of like they do need to pick their spots to have these kind of 
event dynamite episodes, you know, whether it's literally branded as such, such as the bash at the beach upcoming in Miami, or if it's the Chicago one, which has had this wait for the better part of a month. Uh, but yeah, it requires a little bit of training and a little bit of like, okay, yeah, for three weeks, we can have Jericho do this many things before we establish that he's clearly going to be going up against Moxley and that'll probably pay off at a bigger show. Yeah. Couldn't agree more with that. You see it in stardom where they do these little, little title shots. But it's a little different there because they're trying to sell tickets with title matches. Although I guess they're trying to do that here too, but it is interesting what you're saying, Drew, of like, are they going to establish kind of a, a schedule where we know that every four to eight weeks we'll get a bigger dynamite? You know, or is it just going to pop up occasionally, depending on uh, where they are? Kind of reminds me of NXT when they were running before the takeovers or even when they were only do. I don't know how many they're doing now, but there was a time when they were only doing four. But you would get a big buildup every so often where it's like, OK, here's a big NXT weekly show. And we'll see how they do here. All right. I'm going to delete first uh, just for fun. And also, I only put two things on here. So somebody's going to have to come up with a third one. So uh, that'll be fun. OK. The booking for Pac and Adam Page, I feel like they are they're in similar spots in the company in that they're both kind of at the top of the mid card. They're in that spot where they could, you would think they would beat just about anybody below them, but you don't necessarily buy at this point that they could beat, uh, you know, obviously Page couldn't beat Chris Jericho, but you know, they couldn't beat the people at the very top. So what you clearly have to do is build both of these guys up to get the crowd to buy into them. Paige even more so. But Pac, you know, there's a big difference between, at All Out, there's a big difference between when Pac entered and when Kenny Omega entered based on, you know, the crowd reaction. Okay, you fast forward to this show, and Adam Page feels like a much bigger star than he did when he faced Chris Jericho at All Out, and Pac, in a, a rematch against Kenny Omega, feels like a bigger star than he did before. And yet, you have Pac getting... 50-50 booking again. So after going 50-50 with Adam Page, he does the same thing with, with Kenny Omega, uh, even though it's a flash pin, but I just kind of, I just dislike that he uh, went 50-50 with him and Adam Page. I mean, we talked on this very show that we would be critical if he went 50-50 with Omega after, right after going 50-50 with Page. So that's annoying. Same thing for Page. Yes, he loses in a finish where, it's, uh, you know, the heel manager or the heel second knocks him out. And so it's not a clean finish. But I just have to think that it hurts the reaction that he was getting in this match that they've been building up. And it's just like, I appreciate they can't push everybody and some people are going to have to wait. But then cycle these guys down. That's the best thing I can think of rather than getting us excited and then pushing them back down. So uh, that's my delete, just this kind of, uh, as I called it before, WWES booking. Uh, I'm down on it. Yeah, and you know how I feel about Pac as a wrestler. I'm, I'm pretty well documented as the person that is leading the charge that I think he is 2019's Wrestler of the Year. And I feel like now that he's going to be doing it, besides the fact that he's been now booked 50-50 and hasn't looked as strong as he should look with this 50-50 flash pen with Omega, you could course say it was a flash pen, but it's 50-50 booking at the end of the day. And it is something that kind of goes back a little bit to how Drew was saying about they have to build up things and what are you going to be doing on these like breaks between having a tentpole show because obviously someone like Omega, someone like Pac, and I guess in theory someone like Paige 
you want to keep them warm, but you don't want to have them hot. If that makes sense, like you don't like you want to be able to say, okay, we need to have a title match for Jericho. Okay, let's let's put Paige out there, or like look at your calendar and go look at your watch. Like, okay, I guess it's time for Pack. But by doing 50-50 booking, and especially with how they said, oh, they made a big deal about how Pack was the number one ranked wrestler last week. And they made a big deal of it because now they have it on the Chiron, which is something I was really hoping for, that if these are going to become a big thing, they've done a better job of better incorporating it both in the presentation and in commentary. But if you're going to have 50-50 booking for two of these guys, what's it going to matter when they get the three-week like title picture feud with whoever is the champion at the time? Yeah, um, I, think, I think this is all circling around something that I was thinking about before this recording, which was... You know, I liked this week's Dynamite, but something rhythmically feels weird or different. And I'm trying to be like, is that me? Is that the growing pains of AEW Dynamite? When you take into account that, like, they have these big gaps between shows and then, like, they are doing this kind of parody booking. Granted, you can say that both Pack and Page had to eat a pinfall to justify, you know, um, Moxley being a very clear-cut number one contender, creating some space between them where, but I don't think that's what it is. It's, it is this kind of back-and-forth booking that I would even say, like, I like Trent a ton, and I'm glad he's getting pushed. I'm glad Best Friends are getting some shine, but I'm very confused by what they're doing with Lucha Bros. They spent the first half of AEW's kind of preseason in this huge feud of, with uh, the Young Bucks and about, you know, who's the best tag team in the world and why all that matters. And that was a real thing that really mattered a ton at the beginning of AEW. And then ever since they beat, uh, you know, the Young Bucks in that ladder match, you know, they lose uh, in the uh, tag tournament and then you have them eating pinfalls. Uh, so it, that's strange as well. So I think when you have that, and also three hours of wrestling a week is plenty. And it's good that there's that uh, few hours to AEW. It doesn't feel like that glut of WWE when you're sitting through the fourth hour. But at the same time, they have such a big roster that then you're having guys that don't get on TV for three weeks. So when you have things like, how do you make the Lucha Bros hot when you know, you're know you having you know Penta eating pinballs or things like that, it just creates this kind of rhythmically strange... Uh, booking i guess and maybe maybe that'll bear out and we'll learn like okay it's fine if you know janelle is not on tv for three weeks and he he loses you know but um yeah there is this like thing of where they're i think being a little bit too deliberate in how they book guys and as a result it creates like this tiered system where like there's people who are clearly jobbers there are people who are you know clearly the main eventers who aren't going to ever you know, eat pinfalls, but rarely. And then there's like this upper mid card where it's like guys that do like feel like, yeah, their uh, wins are close to 0. 0.500, but we're supposed to believe that these are the top tier guys. Yeah. And someone like Darby that I feel like is a good example of this. Like he was off TV after the Jericho title challenge and then he disappeared. Well, he was in the crowd at full gear, but then he came back, won a match, answered a challenge lost against Moxley, and then I guess he's off TV until they're ready to do something else with Darby again. So the, the, there is like this, is it too deliberate or being too cute by half? That I think this kind of plays into it. All right, Drew. What do you want to delete, buddy? Okay. Um, what I want to 
You know what? Fuck it. I'll just jump in on the obvious thing. JR, you know, don't you, I mean, I have been listening to this podcast and like, I was expecting to come on here and be like the everything elite company line on JR is a little rough. I mean, I just don't think some of his malapropisms or, you know, misspeakings is worthy of, you know, getting really pissed off like a lot i mean i think he has a certain role i think that nostalgia to the attitude era and then like the gifable aspect of having jr you know shouting by god as someone does something cool is really neat but it's the whole thing and the women's tag thing is such an unforced error that i'm more mad at him i mean because it's just like this long protracted conversation about JR and whether or not he should be announcing on TV is continuing to happen where like, quite frankly, I'm exhausted by the discourse. I don't want to hear about it anymore, but it's just like, this is like the most egregious, like I really think he's sad. So of course we have to talk about it. Yeah. It's one of those things that I was pretty much prepared to just kind of put it aside, but using a phrase that I think, think that our parents don't have issues with what's over and our parents are almost 70. It's like, no, like you don't use that phrase. Like, and it's just something that you can't put on TV today. And especially what, and I hate to even bring up this name, but especially when you reflect backwards to like the last two weeks for the NWA of Cornette, like the, this is a time period. And then also like how people were reacting tomorrow and all, like there's like an overall conversation going on right now about the role of commentators and it's such an unforced error. It's something that very obviously it's not like this is the first time that Jim Ross has ever called wrestling matches with Asian or Japanese wrestlers. Like, I mean, dating back to UWF, dating back to like whenever Great Muda came into his territories, but even before WCW, he's dealt with Asian and Japanese wrestlers. And it just is one of those things that you had someone who I could even, I would even note that Excalibur last night was more like cutting jokes and being more smarky about stuff. And I feel like some of that might be because it's a reflection of, oh, they're not going to get on JR about stuff. I'm going to cut a joke about the 50-year-old viewership of the competition, which they've done nothing about so far. So I feel like that with JR like making such an unforced error, then you have to look at the overall conversation that's happening about commentary. And it's sad that now we are in week nine I want to say week nine or I think this is the 10th week. Okay. 10th week. So we're, we're in the 10th week and we're still talking about JR's commentary in this even going back to the preseason. So yeah. uh, I want to break the mold here. I want to change the culture a la CM Punk on WWE backstage. I want to do a double delete while we're on the subject of wow. AEW announcers. I'm going to double delete that all elite fleet bullshit at the beginning of the show, <laughs> having that completely not TV ready dude call a match. I don't think he said more than two or three words, but in retrospect, I'd rather delete that than the JR thing, even though the JR thing is more egregious, but I can't believe that that was something. It's just like you, they're putting wrestlers on the mic at on dark, clearly giving the, getting them over and also giving them experience. Why not do that for one match on dynamite? Why not have, Oh, I mean, I know it was Lucha bros versus best friends. So you could put on, you know, uh, you know, Christopher Daniels or someone like that, you know, or even if you wanted to do a bit, you throw on Orange Cassidy and you have it be a comedy bit, but it was just like really Bush League shit. So double delete, changing the culture. <laughs> Once you 
ask all the questions. I change the culture. CM Punk style. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, right. that was really lame. It just, and I know but, why they do okay, it. Okay, but is that guy worse than Alex Marvez? That's the real question. Well, I have a question. What's All Elite Fleet? They didn't explain it. <laughs> they, and why is there an announcer for it? I get a newsletter from AEW called All Elite Fleet. Is he the editor of the news uh, letter? I, I don't know. They haven't answered these questions. And I mean, Marvez is weak, but uh, yeah, it was just so strange. And it begged so many questions. And the guy was just awkward on television. Don't, don't do that. You know, it has something to do with State Farm. I saw somebody yeah, sponsored pay. by State Farm. All the all elite fleet announcer special. So they State Farm paid money and they said, hi, we would like to sponsor an announcer for one match. Who do you have? And they said, we have the all elite fleet editor. <laughs> Maybe he's an editor. He's just affiliated with all elite fleet. And State Farm said, excellent. And then they paid them an undisclosed amount of money. Uh, no good. <laughs> Well, I know the whole deal of State Farm because State Farm does it in other things such as esports, where like you win like a State Farm like great fan experience. So I guess I thought this was like a fan guy who was a member of the all. Okay, got, I have the. Uh, oh yeah, so it's just it's just this shit. So whatever you get, uh, Drew, that's what it is. So are you elite? Join the fleet, <laughs> Drew. Okay, so it was a fan, and if it was a fan experience, that's a little bit better. But protect that fan. Don't make it be weird. I mean. Or ha have it be like, oh, he gets to sit in at the booth and get a firsthand view. Don't be like, yeah. oh, we need to put this person in a highly stressful situation on live television. That's not a that's not winning a uh, contest of any kind. No, that sounds like torture, to be honest. Yeah. Like having yeah. to be put up, like really anxiety hours, like being put like in front of a hot mic saying, oh, yeah, uh, you won this contest. You're coming in here and you're calling a match on Dynamite. Go. Like, come on, guys. All right, well, Drew had two. You got one, Mike? Yeah, yeah. You have two, by the way. <laughs> uh, no, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, so mine is they had a bunch of and – they, and they've had, had this throughout TV now, and this was kind of the episode where I kind of threw up my hands about this, and that is they need to be less reliant on the run-in schmas because they've had awesome ones. The one that ended the show in Charlotte – was a great go home for full gear. But like having the whole Jericho celebration open up and have it be like a actually a genuinely amusing kind of 15 to 20 minutes. Like they haven't had an opening segment like that before. And it didn't seem like they were really going to, but they showed like, hey, we can do the 20 minute live open and make it funny and make it worth it. But then they had SEU like dressed up as marching band people and attacking the inner circle. And it was just was so lame. And the crowd reacted as had lame it was and later there that they had dosh they had dasha and dustin out there no it wasn't dasha i apologize dasha was on commentary was on ring announcing it was jen jen decker out there to do like a dustin Rhodes promo for whatever reason who knows and then they had another schmoss another run-in there to like set up a match for next week at least that one had a purpose whereas this one seemed at the beginning of the show just felt really awkward and unnecessary and lame so yeah, let, let's dial back like the constant brawls because when they've done it well, it's been excellent, but it just came off as super lame last night. Yeah, I do the uh, I do a spreadsheet on the Patreon for TV appearances. Just you can kind of track like who's doing what on TV each week. Some people find it interesting. I'm not sure if that many people do, but 
it's amazing how many times I have to type run in as like somebody's appearance on television. It's just a, a constant thing on here. So you're right. Sometimes they're good, but sometimes they are very bad. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, also when we're talking about this, like, you know, long elongated uh, weekly TV booking, it's like, I hate saying this, but like, I'm getting a little bit tired of elite versus uh, inner circle stuff. And I want to see that big blow off match. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I like it as an, as an overarching story. I do, but it does feel, well, I worry. Is my brain broken by WWE television? Like, does this actually have to pay off this soon? I feel like I want it to pay off soon, but it may be that uh, it, it still needs time to, to burn. Yeah, I don't think it needs to pay off soon. Uh, and if I said that, then I think now I can hone in on what I really think is that I want to see it develop in ways other than schmozzes. I want to see maybe more one-on-one -on -one matches between them or, you know, just anything that just isn't just like, oh, they have a big breakup brawl. Yeah, well, we're going to we'll talk about this later. We're going to get next week Dustin and the Young Bucks versus uh, Proud and Powerful and Sammy Guevara. So at least, uh, you know, a matchup between these folks. So we'll see where it, where it goes. Let's run down the entire results from this week. As as Mike said, they started out with uh, band playing on the on the ramp and then Soul Train Jones, a.k.a. or FKA Virgil in the ring. Uh, couldn't believe they handed Virgil a live microphone, but uh, by God, they did. Amazing. Yeah. Not only that, they all elite fleet guy being unprofessional and untrained on the microphone. They had they had Soul Train Jones out there. It was something. Amazing stuff. So he introduces Chris Jericho, who's played in by the band. No Judas, but fear not. We did get a two Judas night. Uh, he this is a, a great segment, I think. A uh, few things that happen. He announces uh, that everybody's getting 50 cents off Jericho T-shirts. Very funny. Announces a real little bit of the bubbly champagne that you can order and apparently sold out. Uh, he brings out the inner circle. They have gifts for him. So Sammy Guevara is first. It's, you know, a cardboard standee of Sammy and Jericho hugging and smiling. Very good. Proud and powerful have a Boricua gift basket, uh, including, I mean, actually, I don't want to. I feel like it's racist if I say the things that uh, that were included. Uh, they were kind of playing into some stereotypes here. The, the, they were the, they 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 titled this thing as it lets Jericho to be an honorary New Yorkian. So yeah, a lot of things like this, and it was also pretty. Like these two guys, they might be my favorite act in AEW. From one of how they're able to go from super serious to somewhat comedic, but doing it in a way that's still true to themselves and their character. Like you've heard me talk about this about Pack. These are two guys who get themselves and get who they are as characters, and they can do something that's somewhat comedic, and it doesn't lose their sense of self. And I, I don't know, like I thought it was tremendous, just like this whole entire segment. Like you also had Excalibur because the big thing about about the proud and powerful is that they're from the Bronx was making references to Disa Samaro the entire time, and that's why I feel like in 2020, I'm going to announce this for everything elite. You all can join in on. We are going to get Santana and Ortiz on Desus and Mero. This has to happen. That is the content that we all deserve. Yeah, and I want to be clear. I don't. I didn't have a problem with this part of the segment. It's just like a white dude recounting what happened. I think it's just going to come off badly. So just like watch the segment. It's it's funny, uh, but it does end with a Puerto Rican flag bandana that they put on Jericho's head, which was very funny. 
Uh, Jericho wants to know where Jake Hager is. He comes out uh, with a goat and says that the goat's name is Chris Jerigoat. A lot of hand-wringing about the goat, but I thought it was fine. The goat didn't want to be out there, and then they just took the goat to the back, and it was over. Yeah, uh, I mean, goats are my favorite animals, and I uh, I got a little bit like, don't use the live animal in a thing, but uh, it seemed like it was relatively okay. Uh, I don't necessarily want it to become a trend on AEW, uh, but, you know, you got that pun in there. Uh, it was funny watching a very big Jake Hager not be able to lead a very tiny goat. That was a good visual. <laughs> <laughs> yes, strong agree. Uh, then they they pull up one of the the packages on the in the ring, which is wrapped in paper that is Chris Jericho and the AW title, and underneath is Chris's dad Ted Irvin, who played for the New York Rangers, and he's in a Rangers jersey, and he just they do a bunch of shit here about you know the Rangers uh, to piss off all the Blackhawks fans. Which the most interesting thing to me about this part was that it proved that this was a local crowd. You know, all out is a fly-in crowd, but this was a Chicago crowd. Yeah, and Ted Irvine ruled on the microphone. Like he was great at riling him up, them up, and like it was like real charming because like they've kind of like alluded to Jericho and his dad more here than pretty much any other time in his career. Yeah, I have a question. Was this Ted Irvine's first wrestling appearance? I think it might have, which been. is remarkable know. given uh, Jericho's career. I might be wrong about that, but I don't. Remember any time in WWE or WCW, uh, Ted coming out for an angle. So that's a really smart uh, move. It was a nice mix of uh, just like a older dad hanging out and being sweet, and then him calling the Blackhawks wimps, um, <laughs> and then the Chicago fans doing exactly what you want them to do, which is just be super incensed that someone dared to speak uh, negatively about their hometown team. It was lovely. It was, and he actually had Rangers jerseys for all the Inner Circle members. The best part of this was Soul Train Jones walking toward him as if there was going to be one for him, and then there wasn't. <laughs> like, this is, they, they had to know this would happen with him. Like, oh, yeah. Like, he's a known quantity, and he played up to it, and everyone had a jersey, and it just was a great segment. Like, up to this part, the segment ruled. What you're about to get into is when the segment completely went off a cliff. Like, they ended it at this. And then, like, went to commercial. I've been like, all right, that's, like, a perfect comedic opening. Like, this is your lifestyle segment. But then things kind of just fell off a cliff. Yeah, instead they wanted to get a little more heat here. They bring in Justin Roberts to read a thank you note from uh, the AEW executive team and uh, TNT Brass, as Jericho called them, repeatedly. And Justin Roberts reads the letter. Uh, but Jericho does not like his tone. At this point, the inner circle attacks Justin Roberts beats him down. He's also already told the crowd that he's from Chicago or, you know, Chicago area. So a little more heat there. Um, but some of the band members were SCU. They come in and save the day. And that's how this segment ends. All right. Then we have the best friends come out uh, for the next match, but they're attacked by the Lucha Brothers before they can get to the ring. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess the highlight here was Orange Cassidy jumping off the top rope in a turkey costume. Very funny. Ultimately, best friends defeat the Lucha Brothers. Trent gets the, the pin on Phoenix with the Crunchy Driver. I, th I mean, I think it's just called Crunchy, but it's uh, an Omori Driver. But uh, this is interesting, particularly because Trent pinned Pentagon on Dark this week. So he's now pinned both members of the Lucha Brothers. In theory, because Phoenix was the most recent AAA mega champion, 
that he should be up there in the AAA rankings. Maybe we can get, after this is all done, Trent versus Omega on Dark for the AAA title. I mean... That's a great idea. uh, But, like, I think, like, this has been played up pretty well. The match was kind of messy and goofy, but it was fun. But, again, you have back-to-back attacks here. They are going really hard on that, and that's something that, at least this episode, kind of irked me. Next up was the women's tag match, B Priestley. And Emi Sakura defeated Hikaru Shida and Chris Statlander when Sakura rolled up Statlander. So, interesting match. A good match, I thought. And more ammunition uh, for me talking about how good this division actually is. I laughed at all the haters, which was very fun. Uh, The weird part about this is, one, Shida comes in as the number one ranked woman. You expect her to get a pinfall here to, you know, keep propelling her toward a match with Riho. This is kind of what Drew was talking about earlier of how do you build up Uh, your events now that you don't have a pay-per-view now until you know february most likely and i thought the other option was for statlander to get a pinfall here to start building her up and instead uh they went completely the other way sakura who you can't imagine being like a real player in the division going forward i think she's a great piece but probably not a real player but instead she gets a pinfall and statlander takes the fall yeah and they made a big deal and drew and i were talking about this before they made a big deal about Sheeta being like the number one contender. Like they've kind of now said like, Oh, your number one ranking means you're the number one contender. Like on commentary, like then it wasn't like Excalibur who made a point of that. Drew. I don't know if he literally called her the number one contender, but they definitely talked about her uh, recent victories and rankings. Uh, yes. It's strange. I, I fear uh, though, this is going to be the end of the world, that this is going to lead to a multi uh, woman match for the championship. Uh, which I think will probably be splitting the difference of like getting someone over as a result. Yeah, I would like to see maybe some more factional stuff in the women's division. I mean, maybe some more alliances. You have B Priestley, and we haven't seen her in a month or so, but Jamie Hayter together. But I, I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit more of that alliances. So, like, we know uh, just where. Shit, I don't know. I don't know. There's just something a little bit more I want to see out of this to justify where the division is going. Though the roster itself, I'm on your side, Aaron. It's a very good women's roster. Well, we're not getting any stories. I mean, Kenny Omega gave an interview recently where he's like, well, we're going to introduce tag titles, so that'll give us more of a chance to do stories. It's like, just do fucking stories now, bud. Like, you got all these women, but we don't know anything about any of their motivations. You know, we finally, right before the Riho Sakura match, got some got one pre-tape about the fact that Emmy had trained her and this was this real student-teacher battle. But I guess B Priestley and Britt is the only story we've gotten uh, in the history of AW between the women. So uh, I would just like to see some stakes here other than just who's going for the title. And they never made mention of the fact that Shida was trained by Sakura as well. Like, that's another story you could be telling that you could build off of the whole Riho thing of, okay, Riho is known for being Emi Sakura's, like, prize pupil. Well, before her, there was Hikaru Shida. Like, there's definitely things you could have told on this. But, yeah, like, the thing is, like, it's bereft of any stories. And right. I think you could have an instant one of, like, oh, Statlander somehow gets a flash pen on B Priestley. Because they made mention about B Priestley being the former world of and champion and be like, hey, that's probably the biggest one of her career. How is this going to pro- propel her in the rankings? Especially when you like see how the women, they've made deals on Dark about like Shauna and Big Swole being like, okay, these both of these women were going for their first win. So like there's like, 
there's like opportunities here that they're not taking that wouldn't take a lot of time. And I think that's overall kind of the frustrating thing is because it seems kind of obvious, at least for us who kind of analyze for promotion. We've got a John Moxley pre-tape. This was kind of a weird promo, I thought, and it wasn't his best work at all. He basically says, you know, I came into the promotion declaring war on anyone who wanted to stand in my way and nothing's changed. So that's a great, you know, example of his uh, uh, progression as a character. Uh, but he says he's going to get everyone eventually and ask if there's anyone who wants to get me before he gets them. So it kind of is sold as that somebody would step up to challenge him. Right. But that's that's not how the episode ended up playing out. This looked good. It just the content wasn't great. Well, this was something that was presumably paid off at the end of GCW's uh, show where uh, Joey Janela challenged Moxley for next week, which is an interesting way of building up for it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think they just wanted people to know that, uh, you know, Mox still wants challenges and to keep him fresh in people's minds before his uh, entrance at the main event to kind of formally be the next guy to challenge Jericho. Uh, I'm getting a little tired of Moxley's promos. I got to say, I mean, he's, he's good at them, but it's just like, yeah, he's going to compare himself to something like napalm death or something like that. And it's just, it's just more fun to watch him beat the shit out of someone, I guess. Did they mention the Janela challenge on this episode? No, that happened so. in GCW, I believe, after uh, AEW went off the air. Okay, okay. I mean, I, I had, I guess I'd read on Twitter that it happened, but uh, I'd forgotten about it until you mentioned it. But it certainly, so it's weird to set to use this to set that up and then do what they did at the end of the show because yeah. there's like this disconnect between the two things. But anyway, we get Cody out next, and as Mike predicted on AEW Light, I'm just gonna keep banging this drum. You know, go go to <laughs> patreoncom everything elite because we're right about a lot of shit. Uh, Cody defeated Matt Nix in a, a squash match. Matt Nix is a, a Chicago local guy. He wrestles for freelance wrestling. I think he runs freelance wrestling. He's a big part of freelance. And Cody defeated him with a figure four. Yeah, I was uh, scrolling through Matt Nix's cage match a few minutes ago. Real, real uh, journeyman of Chicago indies, but also indies for the last couple of years. Definitely was around Evolve and FIP and stuff like that. I'm sure Nate would have more insight on the guy, but it's very cool that they bring in these local workers, give them some TV time. Uh, it does feel like a little bit of a, uh, you know, gold watch opportunity for some of these guys who may not necessarily ever get signed. But I mean, best of luck to Matt Nix, you know. Uh, so that's tight, though. Yeah, uh, I did like how... I think he's the promoter of freelance and they did like a, there was a noticeable freelance chant. Well, when he came out and they announced them. So like, it's nice that you can kind of find these local guys. And in a lot of ways, it seems like this is a way to like have like a squash match and still like make it somewhat vested. And that was kind of cool. But like, this was a fine squash. It was okay. Yeah. It's also cool that Cody beat him, not with his finish. So they, they did two opportunities on this show to establish an, an alternate finish. If you don't need it, your your main finish to beat a big guy. So uh, I really appreciated that in this match. Afterward, Cody is cutting a promo. He calls out MJF and uh, you know wants MJF to come out to the ring. But before anything can happen, a square appears in the ring. Uh, someone starts to come up through it, and it's the fucking blade, folks. And then we get uh, the butcher out, the butcher and the blade lay out Cody. 
it was tight. Like this is like like what I said about earlier. Like this is a great way to introduce a team there, and you got the motherfucking butcher and the motherfucking blade, the and motherfucking you have the butcher and the blade. Yeah, yeah. the bagman, the gassed up Teddy Roosevelt, and the bunny. <laughs> this is like I think this is a great. You already said this, Mike, so I, I shouldn't repeat. But oh no, go ahead. It's just a, for, just further elevate my ego. Yeah, yeah. 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 But this is great for Allie. Like, I really didn't know what they were going to do with her in this promotion. She's not a super worker, yeah. but she's a, an excellent person to have on your roster. And this is a great spot for her. So uh, I'm excited about this. And, and it gives uh, them more heels. They needed more heel teams and they needed more heel wins wrestlers. Like, clearly heels, not just like B Priestley gets booed because she beat up Britt Baker. You know, like, this is a good role for all of them. Yep. Kenny Omega defeated Pac, as we mentioned earlier. Omega defeated him with a crucifix pin. So another flash pin, real, real Mike Spears hours on this episode of Dynamite. But overall, I thought this was a, a good match. I didn't like it as much as I liked their all-out match, but it was good. They also did this in like a nice sprint format. Like this was about 10 minutes of a of sprint, a lot of bombs there. I mean, it just was kind of something to see them like do a match like this. But yeah, no, this was not as fun, I feel like, as their one from uh from all out but yeah no this was a fun match and i mean you guys see like two great wrestlers and two people who normally would be at the top of the global wrestling rankings just face off on tv at nine o'clock in a mid card match like who expected that to happen we get a replay of the dynamite dozen battle royale and that leads to mjf defeating adam page mjf hit a very bad crossroads after wardlow sucker punched adam page um I don't know. This was a match. There really wasn't that much to it. It was. This was really more about getting over Wardlow and uh, you know further getting MJF over than than anything else. Yeah, this sucked. Yeah, it was the real <laughs> right. who gives a shitter of a match. Yeah, that, that like that was like if you're like I get like stealing the guy's finisher to make yourself look like more of a motherfucker, but that was like so bad that like of course you're not going to hit it as well as that. Like you like I remember like the whole thing about like Jimmy Rave and. AJ Styles and like early ROH about Jimmy Rafe stealing the Styles Clash and that being a thing. And like it was never done as well. But like that was like an all time like garbage, like exposing finish. It, it sucked. And you know, Wardlow, I'm always going to celebrate Wardro, Wardlow Day. I just feel bad that constantly he's going to be buying fake Burberry ties because he seems like he goes through one each week. Yeah, I mean, if the point of this is, you know, obviously to elevate MJF and to give him a ring that he's going to make people kiss, cool, um, all the best. I, uh, yeah, super curious what, what that upper mid card of uh, Paige, I mean, I guess MJF, they're not going to immediately do him and Cody, uh, Pac and Omega kind of go from right here because I don't necessarily know where they're going. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think you're right about the, that little grouping of guys. And I'm not sure, you know, they'll have to sort out MJF and pack and kind of who's, who's on top of uh, between those two, but we'll see. Uh, JR did announce that the dynamite diamond match is going to happen annually. So I guess it's not going to mean anything. It's just, uh, it's, I mean, it's going to be its own thing. It's not going to necessarily make you a number one contender or any sort of contender, but somebody's going to win this every year. So it's good to have that sort of little thing. It doesn't have to mean more than that. Yeah, and this is a promotion that loves Battle Royals, so they have another justification to have more goddamn Battle Royals. Right. Maybe we'll get a women's dynamite diamond Battle oh, Royal no. ring as well, just because we're about to see, is Nyla Rose going to be as good as Adam Page at Battle Royals? That's a question that we have to answer. 
Uh, we also, another reason you should be listening to AW Light. I've probably killed this gimmick at this point. Excalibur announced during the match that Adam Page uh, said on BTE that he was voluntarily leaving the elite, which I didn't know. So I guess I need to listen to the BTE quick hits, and so do you. So uh, those are on AW Light at the end of each episode. All right, DDP comes out to present the ring. Uh, this was basically just, I don't know. I don't really know the point of this because it didn't, Wardlow didn't like beat the shit out of him to get heat. Yeah, uh, they, it was a pull apart brawl with yeah. DDP where he went 50 50. I mean, I right. think I heard some people say uh, derisive things about Billy Gunn uh, getting some shine on MJF last week. I'm fine with MJF ma- looking like a wimp. Ultimately, he's not the kind of heel that, you know, you know, just uses his like strength and power to beat the shit out of people. Uh, but like, I mean, just have Wardlow lay DDP out. It doesn't need to be a pearl apart. It makes I mean, maybe do they pay this off in a match? I guess. Also, um, DDP was wearing a nine lives apparel DDP yoga shirt, nine lives apparel. Of course, the fine purveyors of uh, Benghazi shirts and troop stuff. So DDP not uh, content with stalking Undertaker's wife, uh, also stalking Undertaker's gimmick. (laughs) That was good. I mean, if DDP is going to come out and you're not going to do anything cool with him, he should at least hit the diamond cutter on somebody. I mean, I guess he is 63. Maybe he doesn't want to take the bump. I don't know. But anyway, Dustin Rhodes is out uh, for an interview with with Jen Decker, as as Mike talked about earlier. He says, Jake Hager, you broke my arm. Now I'm out for your blood. And this leads to Guevara coming in, Brown and Powerful coming in. Uh, the Bucks intervene. They super kick everybody along with uh, Dustin. And then they hit a triple shattered dreams. And that sets up a match for next week on dynamite we got another dark order video same kind of vibe uh you know just like a scientology type cult type thing little advancement here in that they explicitly said that grayson was eva luno's first pupil so that's interesting it's also interesting that having uno out there cutting this promo unmasked when he was someone that for the longest time was very particular about keeping himself kayfabe like him doing that Unmasked is kind of. I thought it was kind of interesting, but yeah. Did they show his face? Like the lower half, bottom half. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but it just was a cool. Th- I love this this kind of turn for the Dark Order. I thought this was another kind of well done, like video that they've done with this. And I feel like that doing this at the same time as you're doing uh, the motherfucking Butcher and the Blade is interesting because now you already have the differentiation between the Dark Order now and of course the motherfucking Butcher and the Blade. <laughs> then we get Chris Jericho defeating Scorpio Sky with the walls of Jericho, as we talked about earlier. Uh, and then he put it on again after the match, and that's when Moxley started coming down the stairs. As the show ended, they very clearly, I mean, it was obvious, but even on commentary, they very clearly suggested this would have to lead to a Jericho-Moxley match. All right, question from Twitter user at Dakota Ibushi, a big-time fan of the show, so I thought we would just throw this in here. Uh, random question after the Sky match. Who who else do you want to see Jericho defend the title against on TV? Right now, there are storylines in place for Dustin Rhodes and Luchasaurus to go through Hager and have a great television main event. Yeah, I feel like that we probably still have another six or seven weeks before we start the genuine build for untitled February, March pay-per-view. January, February, March pay-per-view. So yeah, uh, Lucha Brothers or Lucha Source is a natural one, I feel like, just because like this. I don't think we're ever gonna see Hager in the week 
in the ring at this point because there's been no inclination to do so. I don't think he's in a camp for another uh, MMA fight with Bellator. But yeah, the Luchasaurus is a good pull. I mean, they could really be building up Trent for a, for a sudden title match. I mean, they've made a big deal about how Scorpio Sky was undefeated in six matches, even though almost all those matches were tag matches leading up to his title match. So I feel like that, yeah, Luchasaurus is a is an obvious one, but I think Trent is someone you can't discount as well. Yeah, I would personally hold off on Luchasaurus. I think the kind of guy they want to put uh, Jericho TV title defenses with are people that, you know, you have long-term plans for, but could stand to eat a pinfall and, you know, not necessarily look super strong. You know, Darby is pretty Teflon with stuff like that. Scorpio Sky will do fine. I feel like that you lose some of that Luchasaurus mystique if he just loses. I'm presuming he loses at TV main. I think, you know, you want a guy maybe a little bit uh, less protected than that. You know, you could probably build Janela there in two weeks. You could probably build... I, I wouldn't necessarily want to see this match, but Jimmy Havoc, uh, you could build, I mean, pretty much any smaller face that you don't mind looking at, not necessarily like a jobber, but, you know, getting a clear loss, you know, uh, either of the other two uh, Jurassic Express boys, you know, you can have him toss around Marco's stunt for 10 minutes, or, uh, you know, you could probably do a comedy match with Orange Cassidy, uh, you know, that would like, actually be really interesting. Yeah, I think it'd be fun. I mean, you know, it's like the guys that, you know, you want to see Jericho get frustrated and pissed off with, because that's kind of like the best Jericho stuff. But then clearly, you know, after a little bit of struggle, make that clear, uh, decisive victory, because it's going to mean so much more when someone finally knocks Jericho on his ass. All right. AEW Dark, what they recorded uh, for this week. Excalibur and Nyla Rose were on commentary. We got Brandon Cutler versus Jimmy Havoc, Sean Spears versus Sonny Kiss, and Proud and Powerful versus Marco Stunt and Jungle Boy. Uh, this we will talk about on AW Light on Wednesday, but this looks like the weakest episode in some time. Yeah, that's uh, I, I mean, I'm okay with like Kiss and Spears. Like, that's still not a strong match. Like, that should be like the opener. Like, Cutler and Havoc, that's some real basement uh, level people in this promotion. Uh, Proud and Powerful versus Marco and Jungle, that could be fun. All right, next week in Champaign, Illinois, Trent is going to take on Phoenix, and uh, the Young Bucks and Dustin are going to take on Sammy Guevara and Proud and Powerful. And uh, I guess Joey Janelle is going to take on John Moxley. I don't know if that's official. Okay, we don't know if that's official. But again, We'll talk about that on AEW Light. We will preview this show with everything we know on Wednesday morning. Yeah, at least we're kind of getting to have more build week to week. Like, I remember a couple of weeks ago, we were going like, I don't know what's going to happen on Dynamite this week. But now we have the entire, we have at least two top matches going into this. So, And we had a lot of the matches going to this week's Dynamite as well. So, like, I'm pretty happy with how they actually are getting these matches out here, not just doing spur of the moment ones. We also had on uh, AEW social media, we saw that Nyla Rose attacked Shanna at an autograph signing before Dynamite in in uh, Chicago. So, you know, that might be something we could see on Dynamite next week. You know, a little bit of build. We've gone a little bit longer than I anticipated. So uh, I'm going <laughs> to skip over some of the stuff we had here. But I will give you the two things that we that we promised. So Kylie Ray 
Uh, if you don't recall, Kylie was an early focus in the women's division. Looked like she was going to be pretty important. She was at the big Vegas uh, press conference that they did or rally or whatever, you know, that they did. Uh, but suddenly she disappeared. She deleted all her social media accounts. And then Tony Khan uh, confirmed after a show that she had been granted her release. And we didn't hear from Kylie for quite some time. More recently, she started popping up on Chicago Indies and then she's uh, moved out a little bit. She did a bar wrestling shot. So she's starting to do her thing. So, which I'm happy. I'm glad for her. But nobody really knows what happened. There's a lot of dumb rumors that are out there and nobody knows what the real story is. Uh, but Kylie had this to say. Well, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but she, she posted on Instagram uh, a, a statement. I encourage everybody to go check it out. But essentially, she says, most importantly, that nobody made her leave. And that is a big rumor that's been going around is that she was pushed out of AEW. So from her mouth, nobody made her leave. She expressed a lot of gratefulness toward AEW. She said it's a great group of people. Uh, the most interesting thing I think in here was that she said, uh, I always tried to be a good person, but I make many mistakes along the way. I needed to get my mind, body, and soul right with God. We all go through obstacles in life and we may want all the answers, but we don't need them. She goes on. But essentially... No news here, but mm -hmm. it's all we've gotten out of Kylie Ray, and it gives a sense that there was just something going on there that uh, maybe she needed to um, kind of regroup a little bit, and and that's kind of where she is. So we'll see what what's in store, but I, I'm not sure we're ever going to get the full story here. Yeah, I from the get, I think I talked about this at All Out because this was the thing that happened at the press conference, and I was a part of the press conference, and I really wasn't able to get any sort of follow-up from Tony Khan and he didn't have any implication that he was going to give any sort of follow-up. And when it's come up since then, it's been pretty much company line, which you could read into that however you want to. You could cast whatever negative feelings you have about towards the, the opaqueness, or you could cast whatever positive thoughts about it. But it seems like that this is kind of, I think would be the end unless something happens in the next few years that allows people to talk more freely about this. Yeah, it is a Rorschach uh, kind of inkblot uh, for what you want it to be. Uh, I hope for Kylie that yeah. it uh, is something that does not overshadow her career. Um, I'm sure that she, I mean, it took her at this point to put out this statement. So I would imagine that maybe this wasn't her first thing that she wanted to address. Uh, and for her sake, I hope she uh, gets a rep for, you know, being a great worker and an exciting uh, wrestler, as opposed to having this kind of shadow follow her career. Uh, but uh, yeah. Yeah, Kylie rules. I'm rooting for. I hope that she uh, does great and doesn't end up in WWE. That's which is the nicest thing I can say about anybody. <laughs> Just as long as you have that last sentence, apparently. <laughs> yes. Uh, Marty Skrull. Let's talk Marty before we get out of here. So oh boy. there was a lot of talk going around because he didn't have a match announced for Final Battle, but one was announced today. Uh, but there was a tease on being the elite this week that uh, basically Adam Page, once he said he was leaving the elite, he had a picture of, of Marty Skrull. So, you know, teasing maybe that they were going to join up and obviously teasing that Marty Skrull might come to AEW. Uh, Dave Meltzer reported that his contract expires on November 30th. So that's coming up in a couple of days. But, of course, Final Battles in, is later than that, right? It's on the 13th, I want to say. On, yeah, yeah. It's not as late as it usually is. 
But okay. yeah, it's it's a couple weeks after. Uh, Dave also pointed out that Skrull owns the rights to the name Villain Club, which uh, great great job on his part. Uh, he could bring that with him. And obviously he could end up in AEW, WWE, or New Japan. Um, he lives in Florida. Obviously they're doing everything they can to get people that might go to AEW to come to NXT. And I'm sure he could get a bunch of money and uh, honestly probably be set as a top star or even put on on Raw or SmackDown if he wanted to be because of the uh, competition right now. Yeah. Uh, when this was originally talking, I think I probably said this on air. I expected him to be in WWE. I thought that it was pretty much like the fit. His partner at the time was a part of NXT and he lives in Florida. It just seemed like a natural fit for that. But now it seems like everything's wide open. When I hear New Japan, knowing that there is no Honor Rising tour in 2020 for Ring of Honor in New Japan and just the general stench and state of Ring of Honor, like I don't see him, unless he's going to like pull like a juice and just live in Japan and go that way. I don't see that necessarily happening. So it seems like the natural kind of landing position now has moved to AEW. It's not necessarily something that I'm super excited for. I know that you've talked about needing one or two more stars on something that might be released very soon. And he could very well be that one or two stars. So I guess business-wise, it just all lines up. But it, I'm not going to be... Marty Skrull is someone that I've always viewed as diminishing returns. I remember the first time I actually saw him live was at BOLA when I actually went out to visit Drew. He lives out in LA. Mm -hmm. And I saw Marty Skrull live. And he was so awesome that first time I saw him. And he never was as awesome as that ever since then. And I just like look at him in this context. And, you know, I mean, he'll be a star, but it's not necessarily for me. Uh, I want to point out something. Um, speaking about him having the IP for Villains Club, Villain Club, uh, Villain Club, no Villain Enterprise, whatever. Um, he's doing a pop-up shop in L.A. December 8th, which is five days before Final Battle. I don't know if there's anything worth divining from that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, Marty is an interesting case where, like, I think that early potential when he first hit PWD was so exciting as a wrestler, and I think he has been someone who maybe has been rewarded for his uh, worst tendencies in ROH, which it's like, how much can you really blame a guy for wanting to do, you know, heat spots and not, you know, work, work super hard. <laughs> you know, it's like whenever you see a Pentagon match on the Indies and he spends five minutes doing zero Miela. Um, but I think there's no doubt that like this audience loves Marty Squirrel and he will be super over and they want to see him real bad. So I think you give him what they want. You probably have him be the one that like finally turns the tide against the inner circle. You finally get that big blow off match that people are speculating is going to be a match beyond five on five page comes back into the fold. It's pretty simple stuff. So, I mean, you know, maybe he goes to new Japan, uh, but uh, I think AEW is where he winds up. Yeah. I mean, the key to life is obviously working as little as you can and making as much money as you can for that uh, small amount of work. So I, I've got a lot of respect for Marty Skrull. I just have no interest in watching him wrestle. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's the thing, right? Well, yep. I mean, here's a question. Um, what about the rest of Villain Enterprise? I mean, because like... Uh, Brody King and PCO signed around the same time, which was around here. Uh, is there any rumors about them or their contract status? Uh, PCO re-upped or is about to re-up, I believe. Yeah, I think so. 
Brody King might be free and clear coming up soon. I haven't heard anything about if it was a longer term contract. I know there was talk about Rush's contract being one year or two years and ended up being two years, but I don't remember that being said for Brody King. So he could be someone else also. I mean, like he's a different kind of guy. And I think that's also someone that could be used in this promotion as well. You know, I took this straight from Dave that he wrote Skrull owns the rights to the name Villain Club, but I don't know if he meant Villain Enterprise or who owns that. I have no idea. Villain Club was obviously the shirts he was making off of Bullet Club. Yeah, well, Marty is doing a Villain Enterprise pop-up in L.A., so I would imagine if he's running those events for himself that he would probably own the IP. And there was a thing about Pro Wrestling Tees putting up a Villain Enterprise shirt under the AEW like part of their website or something, right? So I could yeah. play in here. I, I mean, that could be as honest as people just being negligent. Right. I, I didn't take much from that, but yeah, it could be. I mean, I'll be stunned if Marty doesn't end up in AEW. It would be a huge upset if he ended up anywhere else, in my opinion. Yeah, at this point, like, if I was going to rank, it would be AEW far beyond that. Then maybe New Japan, because I can see him doing New Japan of America stuff and being able to still kind of do stuff with, like, Brody King out that way. And then... It's a huge steep drop there. Like I just can't see why anyone, unless they just want money to work for Ring of Honor at this point and WWE, we all know the deal with WWE and the fact that his former partners in WWE probably is something that might be used against them. You can never count against emotion when you're making like these kind of decisions. That's also, I hadn't thought about what you just said, Mike, about New Japan of America. We don't know how much they're going to be trying to flex their muscles to sign right. people to run in the United States. So Marty would be a great get for that. So uh, I, that's probably, I was surprised when you said that's the second most likely option. But when I think about it, I think you're right. They're going to mm -hmm. have to sign some stars and there aren't many stars. It's like Marty and ACH. So you have to sign them uh, or you're going to have a really hard time uh, having American talent that American fans want to come see. Or, or in Marty's case, British right. expatriate. Yeah. Not American talent, but, you yeah. know, the American fans are, are uh, familiar with him. So, Drew, before we talk about our plugs, what do you do? What are you, Where can we find you on the Internet? What can we check out more of yours uh, for the people who have fallen in love with you on this episode of Everything Elite? Uh, yeah, uh, I host a uh, podcast called This Podcast is Self-Care with my co-host Kate Raft. Uh, we talk about uh, the culture around self-care, both the good and the bad. It's a very ridiculous kind of culture, but it's also one that we think is necessary because, you know, even though, you know, a lot of it is just you know, vampiric capitalism, uh, you still need to be good for, to yourself. And we interview comedians, but also people of all uh, sorts about their self-care routine. You can find that at uh, wherever you get podcasts. This podcast is self-care and our Patreon, patreon.com backslash this podcast is self-care. For anything else, uh, I'm a comedian in LA and I'll be launching a few more projects in the upcoming year. So you better follow me at uh, Drew Spurs, as you said earlier in the show, I will also be bullying my way on to a this is uh, the uh, Angelico and Jack Evans episode of the uh, Patreon. So I'm very <laughs> excited. This is the hybrid too. I will be there to talk about it, whether you like it or not. No, absolutely. I, it's really hard to like 
think about, I should do a better job of just like scheduling how I'm going to do this because I'm like, fuck, who do I do next? You know, so it's, uh, it's interesting. I'm in talks with some people about uh, the next one that's coming up. So we'll, we'll see what happens. And, and you never want to put yourself through the five hour mega cast that I'll put you through about this is Shima. Like that's the, 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 that's the gun to your forehead, basically saying like you have to do other ones or else Spears is going to take up like two days of my life just talking about random Toriwan matches from 1999. Yeah, when I, when I do This Is Jack Evans, I'm going to just go through Twitter, advanced search Jack Evans and like all the terms he uses for weed and just track his <laughs> match by like where did he score weed afterwards. Uh, so that'll be really exciting. Advanced metrics. I'm going to, Mike, anytime you want. You just record uh, This Is Shima. You can have any guests you want. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so you want no part of this is what you're saying. I mean, well, I mean, let's be honest here. I don't know shit about Shima. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. not sure that I would even be, because you would have to put together the prep work. So right. then basically I would just be reading your notes. To, I would be leading you through your notes to do the show. Yeah, that'd be a real awkward dance. <laughs> yes. So I'm sure Mike will handle this as Shima <laughs> along with another uh, qualified guest. All right. For us, uh, for the non-Drew Spurs uh, parts of the show, make sure you're following us at everything AEW. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Mike is at Fuji Heya. It's really hard to switch up my my normal cadence here, but Nate is also at Epitasis. So check out Nate. Uh, he's doing. He's still doing content. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Rate and review. Really. Really want you to go check out uh, patreon.com slash everything elite. A lot of good stuff up there. Some even better stuff coming uh, next month. I do want to remind you that if you subscribe now, you will be charged now and then charged again on the first of the month. So you may want to wait to the first of the month, but there's also a month full of content on there that is worth your money. So uh, I wouldn't be mad at you if you went ahead and subscribe now. It'd be super sweet of y'all to do that, but totally understand if you're going December 1, it'll be December 1 from now on. Or it'll be not December one. It'll be like the first of the month from now on. So yeah, just come on. Like just we, we got a lot of stuff going on there. I think I counted it and it's gonna be like nine hours this month. So it's a lot of content, a lot of shows. And hey, I think AEW Light is one of the more fun things that we do each week. And it's kind of a nice thing to get yourself ready for AEW Dynamite each night. And I've been really stoked and appreciative of everyone who signed up. So yeah, thank you all. Yeah, it's exceeded our expectations already, and we're hoping to just... Here's what I'll say about it. We are constantly talking about content to put together for the Patreon and ways to make it better, so uh, you're definitely going to get our best effort. So yeah, we'd love you to go to patreon.com slash everythingelite. Uh, but that's it for this week. For Mike, for Drew, I'm Aaron. We'll see you next time. Okay.